Hey, so I just want to say, before we get started, I want to give a special thank you to everyone who has contributed to make this what it is. I mean, this is awesome what God has done in such a short amount of time to give us this building, but, uh, and there's so much I could say about those people that have contributed to make it to today, but more important than the building is you. It's the people. This building is nothing without the people. And so praise God for bringing all of you together. It is such a blessing to be here with you today. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of imperfections. We got a screen up here, brand new TV. It's all jacked up and needs replaced. <laughs> I didn't have the worship songs for today. There's computers not working. Uh, there's stuff that still needs to be done in the building, but it's okay. We're going to worship and praise the Lord anyway. Amen? So I am so glad you're here. It is a glorious morning. How awesome is this to have our first service in our new building together? I really am amazed and incredibly thankful for God's provision and for all of the work that so many of you have done to make this place our home to worship the Lord. You know, today is week five in our message series, Rooted. And uh, this comes from the book of Colossians. The title of this series is Rooted, because we all need to be rooted and built up in Jesus. And our main text for today comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. We're going to finish up chapter 1 today, and if you need a Bible, we've got them there on the table for you. I'm going to also have the scripture here up on the screen. But let's just jump into our text, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant, according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Let's pray. Father, we invite you here to work in our midst, in our hearts, and in our minds. Lord Jesus, that you'd give us ears to hear today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this building. We thank you that Today is the first day that we officially have the service in this building. We pray there will be many more and that there will be many people come to know you in this building and they will grow to know you even more deeply in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, my title for today, for the message, is The Hope of Glory. Some of you might recognize this picture. This comes from David and Janet out their back door. And uh, the hope of glory, if you've been in my house, you probably, my son has heard me say this over and over, so son, I just couldn't resist. I'm just going to say it. I have been saying this for weeks, the hope of glory. I've been saying it over and over and over and over. I couldn't wait to get to this message, the hope of glory. If we have Christ in us, then we have the hope of glory. And this hope will never disappoint us. It's a hope that endures no matter what happens in this life. This hope is an anchor. It's an anchor for our souls that helps to keep us focused no matter what happens, no matter what goes on, all the way until Jesus comes back. Now, I can't wait for that day. 
It's going to be glorious. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. And it would be far more than any words that I could possibly convey today. But before I get too far into the hope of glory, let's unpack these verses in our text. We're going to start in verse 24. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. Now, I want to be very clear that this verse has nothing to do with suffering in order to be saved or suffering as a way to atone for our our sins. That's That's not at all what it means here. As if Christ's sufferings were not sufficient or incomplete. We know by the truth of God's word that Jesus suffered once for all time by his death on the cross for our sins. When he said from the cross, it is finished. It's finished. It means exactly what he said. When we believe and we receive Jesus, the penalties of our sin is paid in full. So there is nothing lacking in what Jesus did to set us free from our sins. And you know, at first glance, when you look at this text, you can get a little confused. And when I read a lot of commentary on this, and there's many different views about what this verse actually means, but let me just stop for a minute and tell you that anytime you run across something in the Bible that confuses you, let me just say this. The Bible interprets itself. Scripture interprets Scripture. So I would just encourage you to dig in and learn the whole counsel of God. When you run into something, just dig in and keep searching and pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you because the Bible never contradicts itself. It never does. So let's dig into the Word a little bit. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. Once and for all time. Very similar to that, Hebrews chapter 9 There we go. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28 says, And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. So when Paul says in our text, that he is completing in his flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, the church. He does not mean that Jesus' sufferings for his body were insufficient, as if there was more to be done in order to save us. He does not mean that. What's really going on here is that Jesus still suffers today. He suffers today in a sense because every time a believer suffers, Jesus suffers. That's what's going on here about Paul completing in my flesh what is lacking. Okay? Jesus still suffers today. We know this because when Paul had his miraculous conversion experience, you might remember on the road to Damascus what happened. And Paul heard the voice of Jesus say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That was before his name was changed to Paul. But notice Jesus said, why do you persecute me? And we know that Paul wasn't persecuting Jesus directly, but he was persecuting his people. 
Saul was a major persecutor of Christians before he was saved. And he learned through his conversion experience that when you persecute Christians, you persecute Jesus. This is what is meant by completing in his flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Because the persecution of God's people continues even today. Now, Paul says he rejoices in his sufferings. Now, remember, Paul wrote this from a Roman prison. We can rejoice, too, when we suffer for Christ. Rejoicing in our suffering, man, that's not easy. It's not easy at all, but it is necessary. And we know that when we are weak, he is strong. He is strong. And you know what? He is all we need. Paul learned through countless sufferings that Jesus was all he needed to. And he endured his sufferings in order to build up the church, which is his body of Christ. And if we continue here in verses 25 and 26, Paul says, I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So when Paul says, I have become its servant, he's referring to the church. He had become a servant of the church according to God's call on his life. Notice that he didn't, re- he didn't refer to himself as a leader or as an apostle or anything else. He referred to himself as a servant. This is significant. And it's a reminder to all of us that we are to be servants. We're to be servants. We all have this call on our lives too. God has given each of us at least one spiritual gift to be used for his glory in serving him and his body, the church. Every gift is given to benefit and to build up his church. And we all have these gifts that are intended for us to serve in his church. Now listen, we're going to need people to step up and to serve in this church. We're especially going to need people to serve in helping our kids because our kids are our future. And what better foundation to place into their lives than Jesus Christ? And we're going to need your help. We need people here to serve. A non-serving Christian is a contradiction. Wherever there is a need in the body of Christ, it's incumbent upon us to step up and meet that need. That's how the body grows. That's how the body thrives. We're going to need lots of help. And many of you have been serving and helping prepare this building. And we are so grateful for your service. There are so many areas that we will continue to need people to serve in, whether it's continuing to improve the building, because there's a lot of stuff yet to do, um, whether it's working in the nursery, whether it's assisting in teaching, or helping with kids, or serving as an usher, or a greeter, or working in the kitchen. There are plenty of areas in the body of Christ for us to serve in. We all need to be servants. God has given us this building to serve his people and to serve this community. We need you. And I believe God is going to do amazing and wonderful things through the remnant. He didn't just provide this building or this body so that we could just sit back and coast our way into heaven in our own little country club. (laughs) He didn't do that for that purpose. No, we need to be laser focused on our purpose. And what's our purpose? Making disciples. We need to be disciples of Jesus 
who make disciples for Jesus. And at the end of the day, that's why this church exists. We can never, ever lose that focus. There are a lot of great and wonderful things that we can do in the community, in this church, but we've got to be focused on what is it about. It's about building people. It's about building people. We want to see many people come to know the saving power of Jesus in their lives. And then once they're saved, to mature and to grow and to become fully devoted followers of Christ. There is nothing more fulfilling than to serve others in meeting that purpose right there. To be a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples for Jesus. Now in the Apostle Paul's case, his gifts were focused on making the word of God fully known. Making the word of God fully known. Paul was specifically called to make the word of God fully known. And he did that to the Gentiles. Now by fully known, uh, Paul means up to that point that the truth had not been uh, revealed. It had been hidden up to this point. And by making the word of God fully known, he would be revealing that truth that had been hidden for the first time. That's what he means by the use of the word mystery here in verse 26. The word mystery, when you see it in the New Testament, it refers to something that was previously kept hidden and has now been revealed. And in this case, Paul reveals the mystery in verse 27. We're going to get to that in a minute. But before I go there, before I get to verse 27, because that's where it really gets good, okay? We're about to crest over that roller coaster, okay? As soon as we get to verse 27. But let's just step back for a minute. Why did Paul write this letter to the Colossian church? Who remembers? Why did he write this letter? What was his purpose? Heresy, that's right. It was to combat heresy. He was trying to combat heresy that had begun to slip into the Colossian church. This heresy was later referred to as Gnosticism, which is based on the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. Gnosticism was when people believed that they had secret knowledge that no one else knew. This secret knowledge, or deeper secrets as they would say, uh, is very similar to some of the cults that still exist even today. This secret knowledge made them feel superior to others. But Paul is about to blow that superior thinking right out of the water in verse 27. Here it is. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 says, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There it is, the hope of glory. <laughs> I could say that all day. <laughs> That's the mystery that was previously kept hidden, but is now being revealed. If you have believed and have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then Christ is in you. And the truth is the hope of glory. That's the truth. The false teachers in the Colossian church were promoting the heresy of Gnosticism that spiritual perfection was a secret and was only available to a select few who had that secret knowledge. But Paul directly slams this heresy here because he openly declares that mystery that had been kept secret for ages and generations. The mystery was hidden until Jesus came to this earth, lived as a man, died on the cross, and rose from the dead. Through Christ, the mystery was made known to everyone. 
And that mystery is that Christ lives in the hearts of all those who believe and receive him. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If you have Christ in you, then you have the hope of glory. This hope is not wishful thinking. It's, co- it's a confident expectation of the joy that you will be changed by God and one day you will see Jesus face to face. Anyone excited about that? Come on, you're going to see Jesus face to face someday. And then we'll be completely conformed to his image. We'll be perfect at that moment. 1 John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. We will be like him. I can't wait to see him as he is. That's the hope of glory. How about you? Are you excited to see Jesus as he is? Are you excited to be like him? Come on, we should be looking forward to that. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21 says, He will transform... Where is it now? Did I skip it? I guess I did. Well, forgive me. All right, so it's Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. I must not have it on the slide. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. When he returns to this earth, we will receive a new glorious body. Hallelujah. There will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more disease, no more weakness, no more death. That's the hope of glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, says this, For we know that when this earthly tent that we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and we leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Do you have this guarantee? That's the hope of glory. Christ in us. To receive this hope, it begins and it ends by God's grace through our faith. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, he says, We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. 
So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For these things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Those things that we cannot see are the hope of glory. And that glory far outweighs anything here on this earth. So now that we understand what the hope of glory is, what do we do about it? How are we to live our lives as we wait to receive the glory that we are hoping for? Well, Paul tells us in the very last two verses of our text for today. Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 through 29, Paul says, We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works so powerfully in me. What do we do until Jesus comes back? Paul says we proclaim him. That means we proclaim Jesus. That means we tell other people about Jesus. It's all about him. You know, we're pretty good at making things all about us, aren't we? That's what our culture screams every day. Look at me. Look what I did. Look what I have. Serve me. Love me. Give to me. Me, me, me. That's our culture. Life is not about us. It's all about him. Jesus. Notice that Paul says to warn and to teach everyone. We can teach all day long that Jesus loves us. Can't we? He does. He absolutely does. That is true. But if we lean too far in that direction without any warning, it's not the whole truth. And people need the whole truth. Without submitting fully to Jesus as both Lord and Savior of your life, then you will spend all of eternity suffering in hell. That's a warning. And that's truth. Also, when we warn and we teach others about Christ with all wisdom, we need to ensure that they understand that there is a cost to following Jesus. We don't just get to add Jesus on top of everything going on in our life alongside all the stuff we've got going on or all the sins that we're into. It's not just, oh, I've got Jesus now, I'm all good. That's not what it's about. The Bible tells us we are to count the cost. And the bottom line is that the cost of following Jesus is our very lives. It will cost us everything. We die to ourselves and we live for him completely. It requires a daily commitment. Study Luke 9, verse 23. Just study that this week. Look at, look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Study that. That's all about how we're supposed to live. We don't just ask Jesus to come into our lives so we can have fire insurance against going to hell. There's no such thing as fire insurance. Come on, it's all about a relationship with him. No, we ask him to come into our lives to forgive us of our sins and to change us so that we will be like him. That transformation of receiving the hope of glory is a lifelong journey. And there is nothing more fulfilling, nothing more rewarding than to serve and to glorify Jesus. Paul explains in the last part of verse 28, the reason that we warn and teach everyone is so that they will become mature in Christ. This is a picture of discipleship. And that's the purpose of this church, to become disciples of Jesus who make disciples for Jesus. It's all about growing 
in him. That has to be our laser focus, teaching and warning everyone so that they will become mature in Christ. Now, I want to illustrate this this way. Carrie, if you don't mind in the back, could you flip those lights off? It's going to get dark in here, you guys. Awesome. You guys see this light? You see how big that is? See how diffused it is? Because it's a big circle. Guess what happens if I use my laser? Oh, you see that? Do you see that little green dot? Can you guys see it? Okay. Have you ever done this with a cat? <laughs> like, see that on the wall up there, Henry? Look at that. I'm not a cat guy, so I don't really care for that. But I do have a dog, and I do this. It's really fun. They just chase this thing all over the place. It is awesome. Okay, you can flip the lights back on. Now, my point is, is that when I shine this flashlight, and it was diffused, and it was really wide, right? It wasn't focused. That can be us in the church when we're doing all these great and wonderful things. But until we understand that our purpose is all about making disciples like that little laser pointer, look how concentrated that is, a little tiny dot. It's really focused. That's what we've got to be in our lives when we're discipling other people. That's our mission. That is our purpose. Paul says in verse 29 that he labors. In other words, he struggles, he strives, he works hard to present everyone mature in Christ. But the key here is, the key in this verse is that he does all of this by the strength that works in him. He's not trying to do all of this in his own strength. That is so easy for many of us to fall into. I've done that. I've done that over the last week. Running all over trying to do everything. You can't do that. We can't do it in our own strength. No, Paul here is relying on the strength that so powerfully lies within him. Jesus, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Do you have the hope of glory in you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much for what your son Jesus did for us. Lord, it is a mighty, mighty blessing to live our lives wholly sold out for you. And I pray, Jesus, as this church moves forward from this day on, that we'd be singularly focused on building people for the kingdom. That you give us a heart to pour ourselves into other people, understanding that... uh, It's all about discipling people, seeing them grow and mature in you because there's nothing greater in this life than that relationship that we have with you. Some of you may be here and you recognize, I'm not sure I have the hope of glory in me, but I want to be sure. I don't want to walk out those doors not knowing for certain that I have Jesus in my life. And if that's you and you want to make that commitment to follow him today and you feel the Holy Spirit pulling on your heart today, I'm just going to ask you, you can raise your hand, let me know, and I'll pray for you. There's no one looking around. All the heads bowed, eyes are closed. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know if that's you and you want to make it clear today that, hey, yes, I want Jesus to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Thank you. Anyone else want to make that commitment today? Okay. You raised your hand. Pray this after me. Father, I recognize that I am a sinner and I am in need of a Savior. I recognize I cannot save myself 
But I ask right now that you would come into my life, forgive me of my sins, make me brand new, and I, I know that from this day forward, I'll give my life to you. And I'll do it based on what you did on the cross for me. As we keep praying today, others of you may be here and you, you might think, you know, I've had a lot of things going on in my life and I've been very busy, but I haven't been focused on what God is laying on my heart to do for his kingdom. And if that's you and you want to make a commitment today to say, you know, I'm going to get my priorities in order and I'm going to put Jesus first, raise your hand and I'll pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, a lot of hands. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would remind us of what, how important it is to follow you with our whole hearts, putting you first, setting the priorities of our day based on what you'd have us to do. You know, your word tells us that in his heart a man plans his course, but it's the Lord who determines our steps. And so help us to recognize what we do and what we say and how we act should be based on your word. Help us to be students of the word of God. We thank you for uh, this wonderful and glorious day, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.